Well, what's good, church? Hopefully you're doing well. Well, we're going to continue our series investigating Jesus today. This is week four. Next week, we're going to conclude it, and it leads us into Easter. Well, before we do, I know each of the last couple of weeks, (laughs) I've been starting with a question, but today I want to start with a statement that I believe that all of us would agree to. All right, so here it is. Here's something that doesn't look good on anybody. Self-righteousness. Right? Self-righteousness doesn't look good on anybody. And I believe we know this to be true as well. The people who tend to be self-righteous or they have self-righteousness are rarely self-aware. And being self-righteous, having self-righteousness, isn't a religious thing. It's a human thing. Deep down in all of us is a sinful heart and we want to be right. It has to be our way. And if someone doesn't do it our way, because our way is so internalized, so ingrained in us, we become judgmental. At times we're hypocritical. And at other times, we miss out on what God wants to do in us and through us because it has to be our way. Self-righteousness is believing that there's something Writer about me than the other person. And so much so that we dismiss, we disdain, and we look down on those unright or unlike us. And when we view or believe anything, it becomes an excuse to be dismissive or disrespectful with that other person. And according to Jesus, we are not righteous. We are not right. And more on that in a bit. So we're going to continue this series investigating Jesus. And the question that we started every week has been this, that if the Bible provides an explanation to us about God explains our purpose, then why are people doubting? Why are people deconverting? Why are people dismissing and deconstructing faith? And and I believe, and I've said this over the last couple of weeks, and just from having conversations with some of my friends and family members who've walked away from faith or they've gone through a deconstruction phase, the thing that I keep hearing from them is that they put their faith in someone else. They put their faith in a church leader. They put their faith in a mega, pa- mega church pastor. They put their faith in a translation or they put their faith in a tradition or they put their faith in a church. And when someone did something or when that person they held on this high pedestal fell, their faith came crumbling down. Instead, we've talked about this, that the foundation of our faith is anchored in something so more substantial, sustainable, something that we can investigate, something that can hold our worship. In fact, this is how God set it up, is that our faith rises and falls on the identity of a single individual, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph, doing the impossible, rising from the dead. And the way that God set it up is that we can investigate it. We can investigate it through what was written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so if you're curious about faith, returning to faith, or you find yourself losing faith, the question I I want us to wrestle with is, is what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote reliable accounts of actual events? 
because for so long you had a group of people who were not Jewish that were not under the authority of the Hebrew Scriptures. They were not under the authority of the Torah. And there was something that happened that, that, that made Christianity something that was not Reformed Judaism. It was completely new. It was completely different. And the thing that drew their attention is what the eyewitnesses saw, what they wrote down, what they expressed, what they told people is that they saw a resurrected Jesus who changed their lives. And so simply, if, if what they wrote is true, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then we have no reason not to believe and so for the next few weeks, we're going to continue exploring Luke's biography of Jesus. And so it was named for, for Luke, and Luke was not one of the original followers of Jesus. He was not one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. He came along after. In fact, he's not even a Jew. He's a Greek from a city called Antioch in Syria. And the thing that drew Luke into this as a doctor was that someone shared with him the resurrected Jesus. That there was a Jewish carpenter turned rabbi who was executed by Rome and came back from the dead. That is what he believed. (laughs) That's what was spoken to him. That's what he believed. And it changed his life. So then he became this investigative reporter. And he writes this biography. Now notice how he starts the introduction. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many people wrote about the story of Jesus. What he taught, how he lived, and what he did, resurrecting from the dead. And just as they were handed down to us by those who were there, eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, why? So that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. So Luke's not writing religious literature. He's documenting someone's life. He's rubbing shoulders. He's eyeball to eyeball with those who were there. And why in the world would they lie about something? Because, listen, these are people who are coming out of hiding, sharing their stories And then they go back into hiding. They are willing to risk their lives to share this story. I mean, how many of us would die for a lie? (laughs) No one. No one would die for a lie. If we knew our life was on the line, man, we were going to, let's just be as honest as possible, right? And so we kicked off with John the Baptist, and he was the pregame, he was the warm-up to Jesus. And then we met one of his famous disciples, Peter. And how Jesus showed Peter a better way to live. And Peter becomes this leader of this this movement called the church. But he had this mission, and this mission, he was just following Jesus' mission. And we're going to see what Jesus' mission was. It was to seek and save the lost, but he uses parables to, to tell that story, to tell that mission. And so here he starts in Luke 15. He gives some, Luke gives some context. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners, they were considered unclean, unfit for temple worship. They were not allowed to worship in the synagogues. They were not allowed to worship at the temple. 
the religious leaders said they were hopelessly separated by God, these tax collectors and sinners. And what was so interesting about this is uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about John the Baptist is that you had these tax collectors and these soldiers and these sinners would come to John to get baptized. And John never told them to leave their profession. He told them the good news is the Messiah was coming. And if you wanted to be prepared for the Messiah, confess your sins. And so they would confess from extorting people, stealing from people. He never told them to leave their job. These religious leaders, they want their people to be hopeful. I mean, they just, hey, leave your job. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And Luke would say, isn't it amazing as a Greek, he thinks this is great that you have these people who are sort of kind of outsiders. Like, this is a good thing. Well, those on the inside would be like, no, this is embarrassing. People who are nothing like Jesus liked him. And the people who were probably the most like Jesus didn't like him. Because you have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What they're saying in so many words is, look, if this teacher was from God, if this rabbi was really from God, those people would avoid him like they avoid us. He must be watering down the Torah. So you have everybody kind of gathered around. You have the self-righteous and the unrighteous. And they begin to listen to this story. As Jesus begins to share his mission and why he came, he begins to share the good news. As we go into these three stories, I want us to ask ourselves these two questions. Which one are you and which way do you lean? Which one are you and which way do you lean? I'm going to ask you to raise your hands and look, I'll go first. I'll go first. If you trend self-righteous, you usually veer toward thinking this way. Well, what's up with that person? Like, why don't they think the way that I think? What's, what's wrong with them? And then maybe we're on Facebook or Instagram and we want to just prove to them that they are dead wrong. That our way is the best way. Or maybe we find ourselves very judgmental, very judgy. Well, we're right, they're wrong. Now, if you lean that way, like towards the Pharisee and the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, just, just lift your hand. My hand's up. My hand's up. Okay, that's fair. Hey, it's an all escape. Now, the other group, the unrighteous, they think, okay, well, may, maybe God likes me, but I have to prove to him that I'm worth it. I, I got to do something for God to, to like me, to love me. Maybe you feel very distant with God and you struggle. You struggle with reading the Bible. You struggle with feeling like you're worthy to do any of this pursuit of God. If you lean that way, I'll raise your hand. My, my hand's up too. And, and look, and here's the deal. I believe that we find ourselves in both situations. Maybe for some of us, we tend one way versus the other. For me, it's very circumstantial. Sometimes I tend to be very unrighteous and other times I tend to be very self-righteous. So you have two different groups and both groups are confused about what God is like, who he is. 
And to explain it, Jesus tells them three parables about three valuable things that go missing or were lost. And he begins this way. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. And the audience is thinking, well, I mean, that's easy. I mean, we would, <laughs> we would just go find the one. Now, some of us don't own sheep. So let's think of terms of credit cards or let's, let's make it really real. Children. Like when we lose something of value, we don't console ourselves with what's unlost. So it's not like, man, I still have my American Express even though I don't have my, my license. Or at least I have my eight-year-old even though I still can't find my three-year-old. I don't think any of us would say that, right? So this is how Jesus interprets it. I tell you that in the same way, there is going to be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And Jews understood this as like a reconnection with God. And God views unrighteous people as something valuable that got separated from its owner. And to those who are leading self-righteous, man, they would kick back a little bit. Like, I don't know about that. And then Jesus does something extraordinary. Or suppose a woman. A parable about a woman? I mean, these guys are like, are you, you've got to be kidding me. This is even more amazing. Because people who are listening understand that parables, someone represents God. And in this case, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't like this. Last time it was Samaritan. And the Jews really didn't like that. And this time Jesus does the unthinkable and associates the hero with a woman. Now, Christianity gets a bad rap. Well, we're very anti-feminist. And here's the deal. The pendulum has swung way too far on this side where now men are doofuses and men are dumb and men can't do anything and men always have like the backstory yet women in the movies are like, the, I mean, they, they're perfect. Like, there's nothing wrong with them at all. And we all know the case that, listen, we all have issues, men or women, it, it doesn't discriminate. We have issues that sin does not discriminate between men and, and women. So 100 years ago, yeah, I mean, women couldn't even vote. To now, it's men are dumb. And it needs to get right here in the middle. And we're so far to the point where we don't even know what a man and a woman is. But man, back then, how he treated women in this culture, man, it would be remarkable. And we missed it because everyone in our culture is quote-unquote equal. So back to the parable. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. And I'm sure all the women in the audience would be like, we would find it. We, we wouldn't stop until we found it. And then that's what Jesus says. He's like, they would find it. They would look and look and look until they found it. And then Jesus leads right into the most famous parable of the three. A wealthy man had two sons. The younger son was waiting on his dad to die, but the dad kept living. And so he started losing patience. And then he says, dad, give me my share of the estate. The, the audience is thinking like, there's no way. Like a son wishing his dad to be dead was comparable to murder. And even though we have maybe, 
Maybe an example of this in the Old Testament where Abraham gave Isaac everything prior to his death. Like regardless, the son doing this would have been extremely selfish. And they're all thinking, man, dad's going to say there's no way. Jesus continues the parable. So he divided his property between them. (laughs) Are you serious? Like no way. See, the son was already lost to his dad relationally. So the dad just let him go. And so the way it was back then is the oldest would get two-thirds of the estate. The younger would have received a third of the estate. The younger son takes the money and runs. He spends it in months and what it took dad years to accumulate. Eventually, he ends up broke. He's, de- he's destitute. He's poor. Nobody's going to help him. So finally, he works on a pig farm. And for a Jew, that would have been despicable. He's so poor, so hungry, so destitute that what the pigs are eating looks good to him. And he finally comes to his senses and he recognizes that this is not how he wants to live. That maybe, just maybe, if he goes back to his dad. Maybe some people in the audience are thinking, man, this guy gets what he deserves. He gets what's coming to him. He deserves it. But maybe you can relate to this son. You've kind of done your own thing, maybe for the last month or for the last year. And you've done some things that you really regret, but you feel like there's no way back home. Maybe with your spouse, maybe with your fiance, maybe with your work, maybe with your kids, maybe with your parents, maybe with your church. I just want you to know that I'm so glad that you're here. And it is not by an accident that you're here hearing this message today. What Jesus is about to do is about to tell us who God is. He makes it very clear. So there is no confusion for the religious leaders and for the tax collectors and sinners. He makes it super clear on who God is. So the son, he comes up with this plan. He's like, well, I'm going to set out. I'm going to go back to my my, my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I, I broke the commandment of honor your father and mother. I broke that. But God, I'll, but, but, but Dad, I also wounded you. Dad, I wounded you. I hurt you. I sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And he's rehearsing the speech all along. The audience is thinking, okay, this is going to be good. Because they knew what they would do, but they didn't know what the Father would do. And guys, in reality, for some of us, we don't know what God is like because we haven't really put ourselves in front of the Scriptures. And for others of us, we think we know what God is like based on what we've heard from other people. And the truth is, this is why Jesus came. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, throughout Luke's biography, Jesus is breaking it down so that we can understand that God is pursuing us. So while he was still a long way off, 
Jesus continues, his father saw him and was filled with blank. If you're, if you're the son, what would you want that, filled, filled it, that blank to be filled in with? Compassion? Love? If, if, you're, if you're the people in the audience and you're thinking, okay, no, no, no. If you're the self-righteous, you're thinking, no, 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 no. Embarrassment? Shame? Disgust? See, Jesus says, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. I'm sure there's stunned faces in the crowd. Maybe Jesus sees that, so he presses a little more. He ran to his son, which elderly men did not do back then in that culture. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's inconceivable. That's impossible to Jesus' audience. Like, you've got to be kidding me. And the younger son begins to tell his dad, Dad, listen, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I hurt you. I wounded you. And this is how the dad responds to his son's repentance. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Reestablishing him as a son and sandals on his feet. I'm wondering if anyone in the crowd is thinking, like I've thought, hold on. Let's see if this is legit. Let's see if this repentance really, ma- like, let's see if he really, truly is changed. Let's see, let's, let's give him a few months before we start giving him some things. See, the dad in the story would tell us, listen, this isn't about what he did. It's about who he is. He already repented. I've already forgiven him. My repentant son has come home. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus' point of the parable is that God doesn't see good and bad people. Remember the first two parables? This is about lost things. So God sees lost and found people. The Greek verb for lost that's used in these parables is me. Let, let's say it together because maybe you could leave the day and say, hey, I spoke Greek. Apolimi, right? Apolimi. It's also used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not be me or lost to God, but have eternal life. Remember the other character, the, the well-behaved son, the older son? Remember he remembered all about behavior? He so he, <laughs> he comes home. He sees the party going on from being out in the fields all day. He refuses to go in once he hears what it's about. And so the dad comes back out. And this is what the son tells the dad. Listen, all these years I've been slaving for you. And, and, and listen, I never disobeyed your orders. Dad, I was a good, behaved son. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Dad, he gets filet on for being a bad guy? Dad, what a, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Now notice that the dad doesn't say this. But son, listen, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was bad and is good again. Remember how the older son made this all about being good or bad, obedient, disobedient? 
The dad emphasizes, son, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brothers of yours was dead and is alive again. He, he was lost. He was a polyme, a polyme. He was lost to me, but he's found. See, guys, with that older brother, listen, self-righteousness doesn't look good on him, right? Look, self-righteousness doesn't look good on anybody, especially those of us who are followers of Jesus. Listen, whether it's your beliefs or your faith or your politics or anything else, guys, we ought to know better. Because it turns out that we're not any better. Like, let's just be super clear about this, guys. The only reason why we are better off is because God found us. Man, none of us were looking for him. He pursued you. He pursued me. Maybe it was because someone invited you to church. Maybe it was because of how you grew up. But at the end of the day, you were lost and he found you. You were dead in your sin. I was dead in my sin, but he made us alive through Jesus. Guys, sin breaks God's heart because it breaks every person's life. I I think for some of us, man, we just keep going back to sin. It promises fun, fulfillment, satisfaction, but yet sin makes life hard. And then when we're really wrapped in sin, it becomes an addiction. And addiction makes life almost impossible. And that breaks God's heart. For some of us, man, we keep trusting in ourselves to get us through a situation, to get us through a relationship. And we're making the situation, we're making the relationship worse for them, for ourselves. And that begins to break God's heart. The man, the sin of self-reliance sin of God. I got this. I'm good. For others of us, someone put ourselves in our situation and it feels impossible to get out. That breaks God's heart. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were raped. Maybe you've gone through a divorce and it was not what you wanted. It was what the other person wanted. And it has disrupted your kids' lives and you're just so hurt by this. And listen, listen, God's hurt too because sin is so disruptive. It's so destructive. There's a story. Uh, a group of college students uh, were, was, was touring the, were, they were touring the slums of the city. And one of the girls, seeing a little girl playing in the dirt, she asked the guide, why doesn't her mother clean her up? And so the guide responded, well, that girl's mother probably loves her, but doesn't hate dirt. You hate dirt, but you don't love her enough to clean her up. See, until hate for dirt and love for the child are the same, that little girl is going to remain as she is. See, God was willing to take action and save you, save me from being lost and spiritually dead because sin is destructive and God is life. And through our repentance, he provides us eternal, spiritual, and abundant life. So the question I want us to think about 
this week is what if for this week you viewed everybody like the dad in the story, not as good or bad, but as lost to God. And I believe that when we do, we're not going to size people up. We're not going to size up the HOA you know, person or the person in our office or the person on 95, or the person in the car rider line. We're not going to size them up, whether good or bad people, but as lost. Without Jesus, you would still be lost. See, our righteousness is only from Jesus, who lived a perfect, sinless, right before God life. And when we repent and believe in what Jesus did, his righteousness is applied to us, which makes us right before God. And that's what we're going to pick up next week as we conclude our series, Investigating Jesus. So three questions I want us to ask as we head into this week to keep the conversation going. Number one, which way do you lean? Self-righteous or unrighteous? Number two, why are we quick to size some people and some types of people up and write them off? Who in your life will be the most difficult to rebrand as lost, not bad? What difference do you imagine that it's going to make if you did? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for <laughs> this, these, these three stories that all share the same thing. There was something that was lost and the owner went looking for it and found it. Lord, help us to repent from our sin. Maybe for those of us in the room for the very first time, those watching online for the very first time. Like we've never made it right with you for the first time. So that's salvation. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I believe there's some things we need to repent from. Whether doing things on our own or the sin of self-reliance, or maybe for some of us, it's that we keep getting back into that sin. We keep going back to it. It promises us fun, fulfillment, and satisfaction, but yet we're always so miserable and dissatisfied. So God, I just ask that you would really, really help us to understand that the only hope that we have is through Jesus, through the strength of the Holy Spirit. So I ask that we would come to you for forgiveness. Father, help us to surrender to you because you are life. In Jesus' name, amen.